Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Fully Vaccinated Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Kurt Bardella. He is an advisor to the DCCC, a contributor to LA Times and USA Today. He's all over MSNBC, but he used to represent Breitbart. So I think it's really going to be an interesting conversation. I think it is important to talk to people. He used to be on the other side, and he's a Democrat, so I want to talk to him about that journey. But before I do, I always try to keep these intros short. I do have a tier on Patreon that allows listeners to listen ad-free and with a much shorter intro. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep the show going. If you enjoy today's conversation, take a look at the About page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see most of the time I talk to political people, but occasionally I interview actors because I used to be one. Just visit patreon.com slash start me up. I do two free shows a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by What's Up with Me, a show for patrons only after each free show. Check out the variety of tier options at patreon.com slash start me up. You can make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I've included a link that allows you to donate through PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes Stitcher and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes slash Apple podcast store, become a subscriber. It's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Kurt Bardella. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Hey, so great to be on with you. Well, thank you so much for being on. You know, I've seen you on MSNBC and uh, I'm always impressed with what you have to say. I want to cover a little bit of your your history, and then Mm -hmm. I want to get into current events. But I mentioned on the intro that you used to be a representative for Breitbart, and that you were a staunch Republican. Now you're a Democrat and an advisor to the DCCC. So could you tell us a little bit about that transition? Well, you know, I came up uh, in Republican politics uh, literally right out of high school, actually. Mm -hmm. And so it was really all that I knew. And uh, worked in the California State Legislature for a couple of years, and then eventually made my way to Washington D.C. and Capitol Hill, working for various members of, of Congress that were Republicans. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, uh, like a lot of folks, I left Capitol Hill and started my own consulting firm. And uh, a friend of mine had recently become the uh, primary political reporter for Breitbart, and he was a very credible guy. And mm-hmm. this is someone who worked uh, with. Uh, you know Robert Costa, and oh. uh, you know is, is thought of as a very credible journalist. Worked at Roll Call, and uh, you know he, he was telling me that they were looking to try to become a more credible platform. And uh, this was in the wake of Andrew Breitbart, the the, the site's founder uh, mm-hmm. and namesake, had had passed away. Yeah, and so there was kind of a reorganization going on. And so I thought, well, yeah, that's interesting, and I and I agreed with the premise that. There was a lot going on in the Republican side of things that was undercovered, the the tension that was created by the emergence of the Tea Party, <laughs> the internal battles that were going on with the leadership at the time, John Boehner, Eric Kanner, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the idea that there could be kind of a, a, a huff post for the right, if you will. Uh, was something that I thought, yeah, that could that could really catch on. That could really do something. Interesting. And so I, I agreed to be. Uh, they were one of my clients. I was a you know just a uh, PR guy. Mm. And uh, you know, and then along the way, eventually, you know, Bannon kind of comes to power, and starts turning that platform into really his platform mm-hmm. uh, with his agenda, which is something that I certainly was not really a fan of. Yeah. Uh, and as they began to create this dynamic with Donald Trump, uh, that was incredibly concerning to me. 
and I made the decision to part ways with them. Uh, and, and and then of course Trump goes on to become the Republican nominee, which was horrifying to yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I made it very clear that my position was to support and advocate for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 cycle. Wow. Um, but even after that, it, it just seemed the writing to me was on the wall that the Republican Party was going to be completely remade in the image of Trump and Trumpism. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the things that I think are important and of value uh, politically were – there's just no place for that in the in that this iteration of the Republican Party. And so I made a decision to not just leave the Republican Party but to join the Democratic Party. Um, a lot of people, I think, did the first part at the time, mm -hmm. but still held on to uh, really this illusion that, well, Trump and the Republican Party are two separate vehicles. They aren't mm -hmm. one and the same. And so uh, maybe after he goes away, the party can go back to whatever it used to be, uh, uh, something that was a home person like John McCain. Mm -hmm. And I never bought into that. I I'd felt that the, the die was cast and the direction of the party was on a trajectory that could not be reversed. And so uh, it, it seemed to me that we live in a two-party system. For better or worse, America mm -hmm. is a two-party system. Yeah. And uh, I, I began to not just want to leave and divorce myself from the Republican Party, but to join the Democratic Party. And so that's what I ended up doing. So what was it that, uh, I mean, obviously you grew up in that environment, and I can totally understand that when you grow up with it, that that's what you identify with. What was it about being Republican that you liked? Well, you know, for me, my coming of age happened politically right around when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And so at that moment in time, to me, the Republican Party, we had a Republican president, obviously, and President George W. Bush, Republican mm -hmm. Congress. Uh, that just seemed to be all immersed in, in what it was to be an American at that moment. I was 17 at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the other issues really that define politics weren't anything that as a 17-year-old I ever really <laughs> had to grapple with or think yeah. about in any way. Uh, so for me, a lot of it was it just seemed like the, the American patriotic thing to do. Yeah. Uh, at this time, I associated the you know those powerful images of of post 9/11 America with the Republican brand mm -hmm. um, and the Republican Party. I think looking back on obviously very knowingly and deliberately cloaked themselves in that brand very effectively, uh, and, and that helped keep them and propel them into power going forward. But as a 17 year old, you're not really aware of those things. Right. You're just kind of <laughs> figuring out the world as it is. And, uh, and so that's that's really that was my entree into politics. Interesting. Um, and what was it, was it exact, was it Trump specifically? I had read something that, uh, about Roy Moore and that was like your ultimate decision to become a Democrat, yeah, but I could be wrong about know, that. It, it, I wish it was as simple as, oh, it was Donald Trump. It really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Trump to me is a symptom of a much bigger infection mm -hmm. that has contaminated the entirety of the Republican party. And I thought that the most potent representation of that was when the establishment of the Republican Party supported a a guy for U.S. Senate who went to the local mall to prey on teenagers, mm -hmm. uh, and, and who did so under the badge of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, like, okay, at that point, if if that's going to be your, a person that you believe is qualified to be a United States senator, someone who can vote on a Supreme Court justice, mm -hmm. someone who has the responsibility to advise and consent. 
to the president's appointments. That's the kind of person you want to put in the U.S. Senate like that. I want nothing to do with a party that does that. That is repulsive to me mm-hmm. uh, just as a human being, you know, yeah. just as someone, uh, you know, forget right or left or progressive or liberal or conservative like that. Fun, yeah. if we can't all get together on the fact that a guy who creeps on teenagers at the mall is not fit for elected office. <laughs> we can't get around that idea as a party. I'm out. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, I, and, and we see, you know, I don't think Democrats are perfect. I'm a progressive, but I'm not, I'm a, pro, I'm a pragmatic progressive because I understand that we all have to share this country and mm-hmm. we're not going to agree on everything. So we do have to kind of meet in the center, even though I don't consider myself a centrist. I think a lot of actually centrists are progressives, you know, it's like, but you, you have to understand that it isn't just going to automatically fall into place because you want it to fall into place. It's going to take some time and, and it's not always so easy. Um, but as far as, you know, Democrats seem to hold their own accountable for the most part, mm-hmm. um, whereas Republicans don't. And, and that is very upsetting. And I'm also wondering, you know, as uh, somebody who grew up Republican and I totally get too because like my boyfriend who is a very liberal guy, Bob Suska, I don't know if you know who he is, but he grew up also Republican. He, I think he started the Republican, um, a Republican club in his high school that's still there to this day. <laughs> and, you know, but he went to college. And I think one of the things that really made him realize he wasn't Republican, when it came to abortion, somebody asked him, what would happen if your girlfriend got pregnant? He said, well, I think that would be her choice. And then he was like, wow. oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. And then, and then he realized, you know, as he learned and studied and everything, and he, he realized he didn't have that ideology. So it, it happened at a young age. I mean, I actually was a registered Republican because I didn't even know the difference. I, I wish I right. could say I had a better education. I did go, uh, I know you were, grew up in California. I grew up in Southern mm-hmm. California and went to public schools. And unfortunately, I know that the schools back east, because I'm originally from Baltimore, the schools back east are uh, better than the ones that I went to in California. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have a full understanding. I didn't know what the Republican Party was about. I didn't know the difference. So I had registered and my mom was like, why are you a Republican? And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> anyway, I eventually I figured it out. But all this said... Um, my question is, because you used to be a Republican and you understand that world maybe a little bit better than some people, sure. um, what is it that you think the Democrats could be doing right now um, to further along the voting rights bill or, or whether it's the infrastructure bill or anything having to do with what we are dealing with? How do you think, because you look at people like Rick Wilson, you look at people who I don't always mm-hmm. agree with him, and, and sometimes I don't like him at all, but I will always promote and I will always uh, you know, s- support people who put out the good message, whether I like them right. or not. Um, and so like, Rick Wilson understands how... GOP battles Um, and and so I'm wondering like what do you think you're not him you're not as sarcastic as he is but I mean what do you think the Democratic Party could be doing better than they're doing right now you know my observation has always been that Democrats live in a world where being right should be enough like Mm -hmm. that should win the day and at times like you would almost rather be right than even win there's a certain mm-hmm. kind of self-righteousness there mm-hmm. that, that that's how Republicans view Democrats at least. Mm-hmm. And Republicans, they just want to win. Hmm. They don't care about right or wrong 
fact or fiction up or down. I think we've seen that mm-hmm. to the extreme in recent years. Uh, but what you know, there's that, there's that old adage: it takes one to know one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people like Rick Wilson or, or Steve Schmidt or, mm-hmm. or or myself, for that matter. Uh, one of the reasons why entities like the Lincoln Project uh, or or Midas or uh, Don Winslow mm-hmm. put together such, I think, compelling content in the 2020 cycle that got so much engagement and interaction mm-hmm. was because they were they were doing something and messaging in a way that we haven't seen in the Democratic Party. Yeah. And, and, and it was incredibly effective. Forget about what people might think individually about these people or about their structures and organizations. Right. The message and the style and the tone in which they presented content was incredibly innovative. Mm-hmm. And what Republicans have done for the last 25 years is run a one-sided campaign driven solely by weaponizing fear. Mm-hmm. You have to be afraid of the brown people coming from the border. Yeah. You have to be afraid of big government. You have to be afraid of people who are going to take your freedoms from you, your guns from you, mm-hmm. your healthcare decisions away from you, all of that. And Democrats have not ever effectively trafficked in fear, <laughs> despite the fact that right now the single biggest threat to democracy is the Republican Party. Yeah. The single existential threat to our habitat, to our planet, to our clean air, clean water, our breathing is the Republican Party. And I think that that's something that we need to do a better job of. And when I think about the democratic institutions of power and and places like the Democratic National Committee and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, people are on the front lines of what's going to happen in the next election cycle. They need to understand that Republicans have shown that even amidst a deadly pandemic that has killed half a million Americans and and counting, they're still using fear to their advantage. Mm -hmm. And we don't have anything that's standing up to that. We haven't run a brand offensive against the Republican Party, despite the fact that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobart and Matt Gates and Madison Cawthorn and Jim Jordan, they have become the anchors of this Republican Party. They have become the spokespeople for autocracy in America. They have become the defenders of domestic terrorists who attacked our capital on January 6th. Like there is no shortage of ammunition for us to do that now. Uh, but 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 to this point, it seems that they have been at best queasy or hesitant to do so. Um, and, and, and if we're going to be successful going forward, and if we are going to beat back Trumpism again in 2024, we're going to have to get in that game. Um, well, you do advise the DCCC, so I hope they listen to you. <laughs> and I, mean, I can tell you that the things that I say publicly is no different than what I say privately. It's all pretty consistent there. I, I would certainly hope that they you know pay attention, and I also just – I got to throw this in there because – I'm just, I'm no expert. I, I, I don't have political degrees or anything like that, but I am a voter. And just like you were saying, certain things work. And absolutely it works when you get a child tax credit where a family can say, oh, look, I'm getting extra money because Demo- Democrats are in power. But I really think one of the major things that does work is being uncomfortable and being afraid because obviously the Republican Party has res- responded to that very well, People, voters in the Republican Party. And... Um, 
I think that the I wish that Democrats, and it doesn't have to be the party per se, it doesn't have to be Congress people, but just the money that the, you know, whether it's DCCC, DNC, any, any kind of PACs or anything like that, I wish that they would do some kind of outreach where, I, I swear to God, I think this is a great idea. If you did a thing, and you could just do it online, I mean, maybe on television, but online where you had maybe a movie star talking to a kid. A kid who understands, let's say, because I always say this, when I was a young woman, I had no idea how the Supreme, like, I understood what the Supreme Court was, but I didn't have the details of how it all worked. I didn't understand that a president would nominate and that the Senate would vote on. If I had a better understanding of that, it would have made me go, oh, then it affects my life because these people are making laws and it affects me. And right. and so it made it personal. And it's like if you took a kid and a movie star and you had like the kid explaining Congress or, or how Supreme Court justices get voted in, how that works, just so that it would be fun, it would draw in more people. I know the money is there. I know certain celebrities would do it for free. And that's like one idea I have that could could – I don't know if it would work. But I also think that it would be very beneficial if Biden – and uh, Kamala Harris would do fireside, fireside chats like every mm-hmm. whatever month, two weeks. And I'm going to throw in there for what it's worth. I had Kirk Acevedo on the show and he really, really emphasized the importance. He wished that Biden would tweet more in Spanish. If there's any way you can mm-hmm. get that information uh, to the people in charge, it makes a huge difference because he said the the uh, Hispanic voters are not a monolith there. You know, it used mm-hmm. to be they were all about abortion, but that's different now. There's all kinds of Hispanic voters and they don't all vote the same. And I think that, you know, the Republic, uh, I'm sorry, the Democratic Party has so much that they could do to explain just explain how things if you explain how things work because most people don't understand government i know that trump was an education for me in how government worked a lot of us learned during those years oh it works this way oh it worked because uh-huh. of everything they were doing and so it's it it can be very um, upsetting when you see them not doing it. And so thank you for letting me rant on that. But back to asking you questions. <laughs> um, now, I can't, now, please forgive the fact that I don't remember the details, but I did see you on MSNBC, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it was on Joy Reid, but you were expressing, um, I guess, a positive attitude about where things might be headed in 2022. And you said that the Republican Party is just basically shooting itself in the foot. Now, I'm going to counter that with, if we don't have this voting bill passed, I don't know that we can effectively win 2022. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask you about that. I do think the the Republican Party is imploding, but what is going to come and, and what they're evolving into is terrifying and they're cheating and they're using the suppression tactics to win. So, number one, are you still feeling as positive and and how do you see this? What do you see happening with the voting bill? I don't know what's going to happen with the voting bill. Uh, I think that obviously a combination of legal challenges are going to be incredibly important. Uh, What we're seeing, the resistance that's being uh, uh, done in Texas by Texas Democrats has been, I think, really uh, necessary and and I think tells you the stakes of of you know what of really what's at stake that they're willing to go to such drastic actions to try to slow walk what they're trying to do in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I hope that we can have some semblance of 
uh, you know, a voting rights bill, a John Lewis type legislation. Uh, I think that's worth breaking the filibuster over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll see what the political appetite looks like once we get through the infrastructure bill. Yeah, just kind of taking up all the oxygen right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I was, I, you know, when I, when I, here's the thing: you can rig the game all you want. If your voters are dead, it doesn't yeah, matter. I know, I know. And all, and what I am seeing is throughout this country, the Republican Party leading their voters to their to their literal <sighs> slaughter. I know. And when I th- when I see stories like all like all of the ICUs are full in Houston right now, yeah. and, and and getting full in Dallas, and the situation in Florida because of Ron DeSantis, <sighs> uh, it's like, okay. You can take as many voters off the rolls as you want, but if your guys are dead, we're yeah. going to win. And wow. that that that's to me the the most insane part. I know. of this Dem- Republican party anti-vaccination, anti-CDC, anti anti-Dr. Fauci uh, mindset has been well, all that's going to happen then is Democrats are going to be vaccinated, Republicans will not, and you guys will die. Yeah. So, if come 2022, there's an inexplicable drop in turnout from Republicans in Texas and Florida. The answer is going to be because those voters died, mm-hmm. period. And and that's one thing that I just don't think is necessarily being taken into account. Yeah. And, and it's not something that will ever show up in polling or mm-hmm. or in, in focus groups or all the things that we use to usually erroneously try to project what the hell is going to happen in the future. But like, hey, half a million Americans are dead yeah. right now. We're going to have, however, that's only going to get multiplied as these variants continue to ravage this country right now. And the and what is it like? Ninety nine percent of the people who are dying right now are unvaccinated. Yeah, I bet of those ninety nine percent, ninety percent of those are Republicans. Yeah, it's just un-effing believable. I don't, I don't know if you're a profane person. I am, so I'm just kind of holding well, back. Well, I am. Okay. Um, you know what? I, you mentioned Ron Death Santos, and I love it. I want to I want to get to him in a second, but we have a message that we have to get across, so we will be right back after this message. Who doesn't love hanging out in loungewear? I mean, I live in it. <laughs> loungewear used to be code for hideously ugly sweats. I mean, even your pets were making fun of you. But that's a thing of the past with Cozy Earth. The people known for creating luxuriously soft cool sheets made from viscose from bamboo have done it again. They have taken loungewear to a whole nother level with their comfy super soft selections and gorgeous styles and colors. From wonderful pajama sets, leggings and tees, every item is sourced from earth-friendly viscose from bamboo for enhanced breathability and temperature regulation, which, if you're like me, postmenopausal is extremely important. You'll find something that you can't lounge without at Cozy Earth. See why Oprah described Cozy Earth pajamas as the softest ever in O Magazine. Best of all, go to CozyEarth.com now. Enter promo code Stephanie35 and save 35% on their loungewear and bedding. That's CozyEarth.com. Promo code Stephanie35. CozyEarth.com. Okay, we are back. Um, so, Ron Death Santos, I love that you call him that. Um, I have a question for you on this and what you think. There are people that, I mean, and I know what you just said, so I'm going to kind of counter it, but there are people, and it's just people on Twitter, it's just randos, it's nobody, you know, with the blue check or with any kind of, like, credential, but there are people out there worried that the plan is to cheat so bad, like, you know, to suppress so much that it won't matter 
that the Republicans are dying. Now, before you even answer that, I will say I know some elections are pretty damn close. And I think uh, his election was like 0.4% or something that he won. Um, but do you, do you think there is some merit to the fact that they are rigging it in such a way that it, it won't matter? Or do you really do believe that it'll be Republicans who, the, the dying Republicans that are going to hurt them? I mean, there's no doubt that they're trying to rig the game as much as they can in yeah. their favor by doing what they're doing. And, and that, you know, voter suppression is something that the Republican Party has systemically been engaging in for actually a pretty long time. Uh, it, it just hasn't met this. Uh, they haven't done it so blatantly, yeah. I guess, in p- a public daylight as they are now. And And again, that's something that is i think incredibly concerning and there is a scenario where before the game is even played we already know the result because of how badly that they've rigged yeah, it yeah yeah uh, on the flip side of it the demographic reality of america tells us that we are moving in a very specific direction in this country and mm. nothing is going to stop that from happening you know by 2030 we're going to be a majority minority country in america mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen what happened in Georgia in the last, you know, counting the special election, two elections in a row now, where it's gone uh, to the Democrats, which whoever would have thought we'd see that happen. Yeah. Uh, Texas continues to inch closer and closer uh, to turning purple at the very least. Mm-hmm. Colorado's gone for, for the Republican Party. They've lost that. Virginia, in my opinion, is gone for the mm-hmm. Republican Party. They've lost that. So the indicators are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Republicans, what they're doing – it may slow things, but it's not going to stop the inevitable. You can't right. stop the inevitable as much as they want to try. And so in the big picture, uh, I, I still remain very optimistic. Obviously, there's you know, some very intense battles we're going to have to fight in the short mm-hmm. run. Uh, and I don't know how, what side we're going to come out of those battles, honestly. Um, but I do think that Republicans are running scared. Hmm. And I would much rather be us than them when yeah. it comes down to it, because yeah. if you're winning, you don't need to do the shit that they're doing right yeah. now. Um, and they can try and they can, you know, take people off the rolls and demand different types of you know voting requirements and move around where you can vote. But uh, I, I also think that it has uh, a boomeranging effect in terms of our engagement our participation yeah. you know there's an old adage in politics and campaigns don't ever do anything that animates the opponent's base well what they're doing is doing that mm-hmm. and you know, look at like the great work that stacy abrams has been mm-hmm. doing in georgia now for mm-hmm. you know a couple of years now and they're you know they are keeping us hyper engaged yeah hi- uh hyper active uh and, and I, I think that kind of works against them in the long run too yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll say that Trump did manage to get the midterm elections. Uh, I mean, they I, I believe that the turnout was as big as it, it, it usually is for the general. So and that was motivating in fear because we were all fucking scared for our lives. Right. And, and I still right. am. I mean, I, you know, th- this is where my mind is. This is how scared I am. I I like to watch, just on my off time, I like to watch a little YouTube. So there's this couple, there's this really young couple from Perth, and they're adorable, and they travel the world, and there was this one thing. I used to live in Soviet Russia when I was 12, when I was in 1981. My dad worked for ABC News. So I've been there. I know what Soviet Russia was like, and I know it's different now because it's an oligarchy. Um, 
but so these two, I think it was like, say, 2017, 20, or I, I don't know. I, I think I think it was while Trump was president. These two, this cute little couple went to Moscow. And so I watched their 24 hour stay. And what was going on in my mind was like, could I could I live like that? Is it is it like because I have this I'm so terrified of the Republicans gaining control. And if they do, we're never going to see the America that I grew up in or that I knew. And it'll be more like Russia. And, you know, I mean, and I wasn't even seeing in this video the truth of Russia. I was seeing pretty, like, pretty St. Basil's. And, oh, look at this lovely meal that I got from a, you know, it, it was stuff that, you know, they, they were focusing on the beauty, the very small piece of beauty in, in Moscow, because Moscow is a gray, drab city. And it's got a few beautiful buildings. But it was like, I was so terrified that I was actually trying to think, oh, well, is it really, could it, is it going to be that bad? I mean, it's like, it's scaring me so much and I just don't know like I don't I hope that you're right with, with your you know positive hopeful like I, I get what you're saying and I think that it could be accurate but it's also I don't trust I just have this problem trusting and so maybe you're right though maybe there is that fear that is motivating us to show up in 2022 because if we don't we're going to be so screwed um <laughs> well you know democracy you know it's it's a never-ending struggle um because there are always going to be forces who who want to move us away from that because their grip on power continues to slip and their corner of the world continues to get smaller and smaller and that's kind of what we're seeing right now Mm -hmm. i mean this is the kind of ultimate stress test really you know the next four four six years uh you know people saw the november election as i think falsely as kind of the the end of something exactly i saw as the beginning yes um, you know, and, and really it, it was act one and what's really a three act play. The second act being the 2022 midterms and then the third act being the 2024 presidential election, which could very well see Donald Trump back on the ballot. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, everything that happens between now and then is going to inform, I think, the health of our democracy, mm-hmm. you know, heading into, you know, the, the you know, the, the rest of this decade. Um, it is, on one hand, again, we have more people aware and engaged than we've ever had before mm-hmm. in the political process, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, uh, it is. You know, and, and that engagement has, in my opinion, exposed those who are bad actors in our democracy, who are trying to implode democracy from within, and that they aren't able to operate in the shadows anymore. They aren't able to operate in secret behind closed doors. Uh, they have been exposed for all of us to see. And so ultimately, it, it is going to be incumbent on all of us to show that you know there's more of us than there are of them. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. And if we can demonstrate that, you know we will prevail. Jeez, I hope so. So you know what? I didn't write this question down, but it just occurred to me. Uh, Tucker Carlson right now is in Hungary, and mm-hmm. he is promoting the autocracy. He's continuing to promote the white supremacy. And I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously, Fox News has been nothing but a propaganda machine. It's been, I mean, occasionally they have a kernel of truth, and then they just fill you up with propaganda. Um, But this is taking a a more menacing turn, in my opinion. And I'm seeing him pushing this autocracy to millions and millions of listeners really (laughs) concerns me because they do want it. They think it sounds fucking great. 
And it's like, do you, th- I mean, I imagine we're going to see a ramp up. And do you have any opinion of like how that's going to affect voters? Do you think it's going to, it's, it's going to shrink Republican voters? Do you think it's going to expand them or just keep the base happy? Well, here's the thing. Fox News isn't growing its audience. Like Fox News has a monopoly on its audience, mm-hmm. but it's not getting bigger. It's not like it's grown to 10 million viewers a night watching Fox News. Yeah. Th- that's not happening. Um, Fox News is the engine that has radicalized the Republican Party, and it is the most dangerous and destructive force that has ever entered American politics. Mm-hmm. Um the 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 lurch towards embra- openly embracing authoritarianism and you know and dictators is one of the most anti-american things i think that we've ever seen and yeah. uh, you know in my opinion you know the day can't come soon enough when rupert murdoch drops dead no that will kidding. be a victory yeah. for humanity when that happens mm-hmm. um but Again, I look at that. It's like they're just preaching to the choir. They're the, the the people who tune into Fox News. If Fox News went away tomorrow, those people would still find somewhere else yeah, they to would. to get their fix of racism and nationalism mm-hmm. and you know autocracy. Yeah, with the internet, um, they absolutely would. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, but it you know, it's certainly. I mean. I, I wish that people would have fortitude that run places like Comcast to just drop Fox News yes. from their cable coverage. I, like, there's no right to be part of a cable package. Right. I don't know why we need to make it easier for them to exist uh, and easier to spread their their misinformation, anti democratic values. Money, um, <laughs> money. Yeah, <laughs> that's the bottom line. Um, okay, so what about the? Uh... All this stuff has come out in recent weeks uh, about Trump's role in the, inciting the insurrection and the failed coup attempt. Um, where do you think this is going to lead? Now, I've heard so many opinions on this, and I'll just set this up in that uh, I don't know if he – I want to believe that he and the leaders of his administration will be held accountable in some way. Um, I have a hard time believing that because I know it is very difficult to – when it comes to interpretation – Uh, You know, we learned from Michael Cohen that he speaks in that mobster code. Oh, it would be a shame if this happened. So he never is directly held responsible for anything. Um, And, that you know, there is this thought out there, especially among the lawyers that I've talked to, that we're more likely going to see something happening with his taxes because those are that's math. That's, you know, non-negotiable right there on the page. It's not about interpretation. So what are your thoughts about all? I mean, some damning stuff has been coming out about inciting the insurrection and the coup it's like together right. um what, what are your thoughts well i mean it's like again the it's the same thing that got al capone it was mm-hmm. the accounting not the murder and the mm-hmm. racketeering uh that's probably the case with trump who basically is just a modern day mobster mm-hmm. and you know for all intents and purposes so that's how his organization is operated um if anything the the information that keeps coming to light about trump's role in his Confederate's role in January 6th in the effort to undermine our election and uh, throw it out is should be disqualifying for him to run for public office in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, these are exactly. you know, this is what we're seeing now is why gee it would have been nice to have some witnesses during the impeachment hearings that went down uh, both times. But yeah. uh, you know it, it's it's going to become I think harder and harder um, for the Republican Party at large to uh, turn the other you know eye away. 
from what happened. I mean, there was a c- attempt at a coup in America, uh, and it is something that really needs to be – again, this is almost like fundamental element of what our entire democracy exists for, and, and someone actively tried to destroy that and dismantle mm-hmm. that in real time. Um, and so the Republican Party is going to have to own that. I mean, that, and the, this I get back to. This is where Democrats need to start running a brand defense against the Republican Party. Yeah. And, and and in my opinion, we need to scare our voters, our base. We need to scare the shit out of them and make them realize, listen, yep. if you don't turn out in 2022, this is what's going to happen in 2024, I mm-hmm. guarantee you. Mm-hmm. Because if Republicans control one of the two houses of Congress in 2024, they will not certify the next election mm-hmm. if it doesn't go their way. That's what's at stake. Yeah. That's what 2022 is about. And unless we make that clear and drive that message and elevate the fear threat level of our people that they need to turn out in big numbers because if they don't, it's over, folks. Like, democracy as you know it will go away. Mm-hmm. That like that's what's at stake. We need all of these things are gonna come out. All the work of the January sixth commission that's gonna gonna uh, take take place now, that is what we need to message uh, aggressively. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well I mean do you think with First of all, how do you feel about Merrick Garland? I think that he has been dealt a very tough hand. Um, you know, people don't realize that when you take well, – this is true really for the entire federal government. Like we just had four years of someone systemically just dismantling the entire federal mm-hmm. government apparatus. Um, we had a mass exodus of just human beings leaving competent – positions that makes our government work we had abuse of power beyond anything any of us could imagine uh and and that's stuff that we know about Mm -hmm. like i can't even imagine the stuff that we don't know about and so when you get dealt this just plate of just a heaping pile of crap uh you have ongoing investigations by other entities like scny going on you have the tax stuff going on like there's there's a lot going on here Mm -hmm. it is it is not an easy thing to sort through all of that and to figure out what is the best way to bring balance back to, in this case, the scales of justice. Um, I think that, you know, Garland has been uh, more hesitant, I guess, than a lot of people, you know, would like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, you almost have to look at it like he's being judicious for lack of a better term. Right. And, and as the nation's top law enforcement officer, we probably would all be better off if we had those people in those positions act more judiciously than impulsively mm-hmm. or politically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Garland is acting deliberately and he's acting responsibly and he's being very careful and cautious, maybe too cautious for some people's appetite, but to make sure that it, there is no appearance of inappropriateness of yeah. abuse of power. It, it's like the anti Bill Barr mm-hmm. to a lack of like it's like everything Bill Barr is like Garland's right. the opposite of yeah um, and and maybe that's what we need right now mm-hmm. I mean we'll see how some of this stuff plays out like you know I always tell people when it comes to things like the Justice Department and investigations like there's a lot we don't know mm-hmm. that's and true yeah we, and you and you can't judge anything until we kind of see the end game of it all yeah, it's just so I mean, I I totally get what you're saying and I do agree that he, you know, especially not playing politics, but it's like what Trump did was illegal. It reminds me of like we saw um Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd. Yet there had to be a uh you know, there had to be a jury, there had to be a trial and 
I think that because of everything that has happened in this country uh, up until that point, up until now, and all the facts of that case, you know, we were fortunate to see the 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 jury come to that conclusion that yes he did murder him but it happened in front of our eyes and it's like it shouldn't have even really had to go to trial because we saw him do it and i mean i know there's a legal system and we have to follow those laws but it's just kind of i feel like the same with trump we saw him do it we saw him do it and and then it's so and i'm not coming down i mean i'm kind of i was a little bit impatient with garland um, I'm relaxing a little bit for all the reasons that you just said, but to me, it's not political to go after him for crimes that he's committed. But it, the whole thing is how do you prove it when it comes down to interpretation? Right. Well, and again, it's like you have to assume that Garland also is acting in a way where it doesn't interfere with investigations that are already happening. Yeah. Like the last thing I want to do is run out there, do something that implodes the work mm-hmm. that SDNY has been doing. True. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so, I would like to believe that Garland is acting with a certain amount of reservation because he knows where some of these other investigations are going, and he doesn't want to fuck those up. Gotcha. Well, that's a good point, and that's something I'm going to keep in mind when I start freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The last thing I want to talk to you about, though, is once again, let's get back to COVID. We've got the Delta variant. That's frightening. I have a – I know that the the NIH director – I think yesterday came out on ABC and says we are failing to contain the Delta variant. And so I'm thinking, this is what I'm curious about, and I don't want to know if you agree, that once the uh, FDA approves the vaccines, that we will start to see more mandates. And perhaps we might see, you know, the like going to a restaurant will require require a vaccine card, um, I I know there was a law it was in 1905 the Supreme Court said that they could you know not so much a mandate but if you don't get vaccinated you'd have to pay a fine um mm-hmm. I I do think that that might be the thing that saves us from these people who absolutely refuse to get the shot where do you see this going because it's really scary Yeah I mean the one thing that we have going in our favor here is these businesses, they know what happens to them if we shut right. down, right? They, so many went under, some barely got back on their feet. They certainly can't survive another full-blown shutdown. Mm-hmm. And so, if the price that they have to pay is to mandate vaccines and proof of vaccines and all that, then so be it. That's better than the alternative, yeah. Which is shutting down. Um, you know, you should not be able to ride an airplane in America no. if you can't prove your vaccine. You should not be able to eat inside if you can't mm-hmm. prove that you're vaccinated. Uh, you know, we're seeing now, uh, you know, even today, the uh, Secretary of Defense mandated all military personnel have to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that more and more, that's going to be uh, the reality, and it should be because, you know, the people who are willfully choosing to either be misled by nonsense propaganda mm-hmm. or are just plain ass stupid and <laughs> want to play a restaurant with their life. Uh, I don't want them breathing the same airspace as me. That's for sure. No kidding. And, and if you're a business owner, are you really willing to let your business go under because of those fools? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no matter what political persuasion you are, if you are a business, yes. uh, y- y- your bottom line is your bottom line. Yeah. And, uh, we all know what it feels like to have, you know, the sign on your door saying "closed for business" for a year, mm-hmm. 
and no one wants to go back to that. And really, economically, a lot of these people can't go back to that. Yeah. And so, well, good point. Requiring vaccines of your employees and customers is a very small price to pay compared to the alternative. Yeah, and I think that even even if you have a business owner who is an anti-vaxer, they're going to be like you said, looking at the money. It's the bottom line mm-hmm. that they're living for. And they, it's like, would you rather not be vaccinated and lose your house? Yeah. Or suck it up and be able to at least make a living of some kind. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, the, the FDA approval will lead to that because I just I'm terrified about what we're gonna see. I mean, I'm terrified about a lot of things these days, but about what we're gonna see this fall in school. I'm I'm so scared. I have a seven year old niece and I live in Maryland, which is a pretty safe uh, yeah. you know, state and I know they're taking precautions and I know that there's only a few kids per classroom and the kids wear masks, but they, they have to take the masks off for lunch. And right. you know, the the Delta variant I guess I think it like transmits in five seconds. So we don't know what these kids' parents are doing at home. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, I mean, again, Maryland is not Oklahoma or it's not a red state. So I I doubt there's going to be as many children, but there still will be a few children who say, my parents say I don't have to wear a mask kind of thing. And if there's no mandate, which I know the governor is not making a mandate, it's going to put some of these kids at risk. And, you know, regardless, we're going to see huge death rates with children. and, And I just saying that it makes me want to cry i can't i'll mean, I, I I tell you i think this. that between now and labor day we're going to see an explosion of this variant yeah um as we you know kind of have the final summer month people mm-hmm. doing what they're doing summer wise through the labor day weekend and as that continues to put a real strain on our healthcare infrastructure yeah. as states continue to deal with that i think that you're going to see a lot of people changing their tune on what's going to be uh, acceptable mandate wise uh, when we get into September. Well, I, I sure hope so. And it's what a delight it's been talking to you. I've always enjoyed you on MSNBC and on Twitter, but uh, having the opportunity to talk with you, it's just been really uber cool. Um, and before I let you go, is there anything you want to add? No, I just, you know, I think it's just so important that as exhausted as we all are and lord knows i am yeah uh, you know the reality is the other side is counting on us mm-hmm. to have that fatigue mm-hmm. and to drop off our engagement and to 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 go back to our lives so that they can just run roughshod over our constitution yeah. and we cannot let that happen hallelujah <laughs> and I do, I get exhausted too. But I mean, you just take a break. You go take a walk, you watch a funny video, you watch a movie, you do something to take your mind off of it. And then you kind of get back right into the game. And so, yeah. Um, all right. Before I let you go too, tell everybody uh, where they can find you. Well, you can find me. Best place, as you talked about, is my Twitter at Kurt Bardella. That, uh, I'm, 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 my musings are available uh, daily <laughs> there. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's been a great platform for me to really meet a lot of yeah. people that I would not have crossed paths with, like yourself. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, and uh, that's uh, that I'm on there all the time. Very cool. And you can also, uh, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, at Kurt Bardella, K U R T B A R D E L L A. Awesome. And I am at author Kimberly, K I M B E R L E Y. Don't forget that extra E. You can find my books on Amazon. Thank you, Kurt, so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Well, you take care. You too. Bye-bye.